life's a plate of cookie dough And you can try to eat it slow But you can miss it out So do it and let it work out Hey, what's up? I'm Dope's fearless leader and sober entrepreneur, Kelsey Moreira. Each episode, you'll hear raw conversations that feed your soul with entrepreneurs, movers, shakers, and honestly, just plain badasses. These are awesome humans who have navigated life's challenges and are creating a bright future. So let's dig in. You're listening to Dope's Soberpreneur. This is going to be an awesome one. I have been working hard to drive some change in the workplace surrounding recovery and Salesforce is leading the charge with a group that you've helped bring to life, Tim, Soberforce. So thank you for joining me today. You are a senior director of marketing at Salesforce. You're on the leadership team for their employee resource group. As I mentioned, Soberforce, I'm super excited to talk about this. And you're also the founder and CEO of a 501c3 Uncrushed. No big deal. Oh my God. You're just doing it. You're just doing it. Big giant warm welcome (laughs) to Soberpreneur, Tim Clark. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I have so much free time on my hands, you know, just just juggling these the day jobs, so before the sun crashed, but uh, keeps yeah. me busy, you know, structure and vision is always good. <laughs> that is awesome. It is awesome. And you know, you're making it work. I'm proud of you. You went out, you said you had a nice breakfast in the garden this morning, got some fresh yeah. air. Look at that. Yeah, my dog was very happy. He was kind of mind blown by what was happening. But yeah, it's it's good. You know, it's kind of one of the things that I've become very comfortable with during the the pandemic is just staying inside my house. I have everything that I need inside this house Mm -hmm. and it hasn't necessarily been that good for my mental health. So just doing little things like taking a 10 minute break to go and eat some breakfast outdoors instead of in front of my computer has really made a difference. So huge. We're on the same boat. We've actually been trying. My husband and I run the company together. So we've been trying to get out for a little walk, like super short, just like a mile and a half or something. And then sitting in the backyard to have our coffee instead of inside, kind of that same feeling. Like, can you just get some fresh air? It makes such a difference. So shout out to anybody, step outside while you're listening to us right now, (laughs) get some fresh air. Well, Tim, at Dope, we have our Dope for Hope pledge. So instead of the typical, like, how are you? How are things? Good, good. You know, we try and cut through that and ask you to take that pledge and keep it real. So give me one high and one low from the last week for you. I think for me, my high is the fact that I'm still sober and in recovery. I'm just grateful for that every single day. I'm very open about that. And I've certainly had setbacks in my journey. And so, yeah, that's going to be my high for the last week. I think low, I'm going through this period where I'm reflecting on what's really important to me. With all these different things going on, I work for a great employer. I've got a great opportunity to give back. And I, I'm just continuing to, to look inwards in myself. You know, what do I really want to do as I go forwards? I think I've had this challenge of do I, do I want to go full time into the nonprofit side of things? Do I want to focus purely on my career? And this is just part of my recovery journey is just trying to find myself. Yeah, feeling that pull you know, feeling that pull between two things. Thank you for sharing like the high and the low. And I love that your high is staying sober. It is one day at a time, every week at a time, these little victories to be celebrated that you made it. Yeah, 100%. And it's having gratitude. Sometimes I take it for granted. But you know, I've seen a lot of people that have, have struggled over the years. And it's, I just I start my day out writing at the top two things of my gratitude list are always one that I wake up sober, and two that I'm alive and get another day, another chance. So awesome. So awesome. Well, take me way back. Kind of where'd you grow up? I hear an accent, so I'm sure that's part of the story. (laughs) Unless you just trained yourself on that for fun. But yeah, and kind of what was your childhood like? Yeah, I'm not from Texas. I always start off with that, but I I cannot do a (laughs) Groundbreaking. Right, exactly. Yes, I was born in England, very much raised with the culture of be seen, not heard. 
stiff upper lip. You know, you don't speak about emotions or feelings. I grew up in a single parent family with my dad and I never fit in. I was bullied through school and so just turned to education and trying to better myself. I fell into a sales career and I've worked for a number of tech companies and now in marketing. And I think really that was my first coping mechanism was just to throw myself into education and to work and just to work around the clock. I used to have a manager that told me if you didn't get a response from me via email within the first five minutes, he thought something was wrong. Like that was the bar that I set for myself. So it's really, yeah, just been a journey of actually reversing a lot of stuff that happened in my childhood. Yeah. And this like pouring yourself into work, I can so relate. I feel like that was oftentimes I meet a lot of people in sobriety and recovery who are that same kind of just like endless energy, you know, like they just had so much stuff to put out. And then it was, you know, was it getting directed in the right ways? Was it with a healthy balance in other areas? Or did you start to lean on other substances to cope? So what was that journey like for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think first of all, my ego was at the center of everything, particularly in, in sales as well. It felt like a solo sport. I think things have evolved a lot over the last few years, and it's much more of a team environment now. But back then, it, it had to be about me. I had to have the best sales number. I had to be getting the promotions, moving up as fast as possible. And I, I went a good few years before I needed any substances. And I was also raised with the mentality that a, a drug addict or an alcoholic was a type of individual of a certain socioeconomic status it didn't look like me. And that that's really something that's probably been my biggest learning in recovery is that actually, I, I think everyone is an addict to some extent. And there's such a stigma with, with that word addict. For me, I lost my dad suddenly in 2013. And I started to use cocaine and alcohol and just go a lot further downwards with those substances becoming dependent on them. But my career was still soaring. And so I, I guess at that point, I was a functioning addict and was able to hold it together until I couldn't. I got into a very unhealthy relationship, I think 2015, 2016, when I moved over to, to San Francisco from England. And still using at the time? Still using, yeah. I mean, I did the whole geographic thing, like, hey, I'm going to move to America. You know, there's no drugs there. It'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> That's uh, going to fix everything. <laughs> right. Surprise, there's drugs here. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, I, I had a bit of clean time, but I had no concept of recovery. I couldn't even say the words I'm an addict and alcoholic. Like, I had zero awareness of anything about mental health or recovery. Because, again, childhood, you don't speak about emotions. You just, yeah. you just keep going forwards. This mix of like, it doesn't happen to me, you know, it wouldn't happen to me or the ability to say, look how great everything else is in my life. And I'm still, like you said, your performance is soaring at work and things look so put together. It really makes it hard to come to terms to say something needs to change because you just are told in society that if you've got your job, if you've got a house, if you're still making money to pay the bills, like everything is fine and, and don't complain, you know, piled on with your kind of growing up around this, keep your emotions down. And I'm sorry for the loss of your father really challenging at, at an older age. It's it's never easy for one, I'm sure, but particularly challenging at that stage in your life. So moving to America, a bit of running away from that as well. Any like extended family or things you left behind or you were like, it's just me. Let me go start in a new country. Yeah, there's other family members, but I don't really have a close relationship with them. But even if I did, I just cut them all out. Like I didn't tell any of them that I was moving I just, I wanted to reinvent myself. I just wanted to run away from anything that was associated with my dad and create this new life for me in America. It, it seemed like the dream. You know, there's certainly so much potential over here. And it, it seemed to work for a bit, as, as I said, and, uh, until it didn't. 
and it was 2017 when I got sober for the first time. But even then, like I, I went away to, I had a very public breakdown in front of people that worked for me, for people that I reported into. And so I went away to, to treatment for 30 days. But I, I still, it's taken a long time to break down how I approach the world. Because if you remember, I talked about education and work and go harder and harder. So I approached treatment just like that. I was like, 30 days, I'm going to read all the books, I'm going to study all the things, I'll listen to what they say, and then I'm fixed. And I relapsed on the same day that I got out. And that, that's really where it's, it's, it's been a challenge for me to understand that I, I can't learn recovery. I can't figure this out. I can't will myself sober. And if there's anyone that's listening that can, like kudos to you. I'm a, I'm a big advocate for everyone finds their own pathway to recovery, whatever that looks like. But for me, I wasn't successful in, in trying to figure it out in my head. Talk me through that day you leave the program and relapsing. Yeah, well, I think program is an interesting word because I didn't have a program. You know, my program was treatment. And I think treatment has certainly got a massive place in so many people's journeys. For me now, I, I do work a program of recovery and I just didn't have a program there. So when I left, I didn't have connection with other people. I'm a big fan of Johan Harry's work and his you know TED talk where he talks about the opposite of addiction is connection. I wasn't honest. I didn't open up to anyone how I was feeling and I didn't have any structure. I was just going back to, to emptiness, going back to that relationship, back to that apartment, back to all the unhealthy connections that I had. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't set up for success. I didn't set myself up for success. Yeah. So this, I mean, the treatment world then you find quite lacking. You had this 30 day reset, if you will, but then you felt like it was a good luck. I hope you've learned enough and you're on your own sort of connection. What for others going into perhaps a treatment program, what do you suggest? You know, what is the right thing to tap into or to get set up before that time? Yeah, it's such a personal journey. I mean, I, I don't think treatment was the problem. I think I was the problem <laughs> because I, the answers were there. It was all clear in front of me. You know, they had 12-step meetings. They had different recovery meetings that were there. And I had the opportunity to learn from them. But I, I didn't surrender. I didn't give myself up to learning from these other people. There was so much ego, the concept that I would have to potentially go to a, a meeting every day of my life for the rest of my life. The potential that I would have to have a sponsor who would tell me what to do or, or, or <laughs> give me uh, direction on what to do and what not to do. I didn't have openness and willingness. They were the two things that I was, I was really missing. I just wanted to get back to my life. Mm -hmm. I even interviewed, because again, the whole running away concept. At Salesforce, I interviewed for a new position whilst in rehab. So I was you know, using all my tech time on the laptop to create my resume, to update it, to do panel interviews. I prepared this whole PowerPoint deck like that, that's how unfocused I was in recovery. I didn't realize how serious the problem it was. Yeah. So you were working at Salesforce when you went into the treatment program. Yeah. I've lived so much of my life. I, I joined Salesforce in 2012. Wow. And so, yeah, during that time, I've been with my dad. I've lost my dad. I got hooked on drugs. I got sober off drugs. Yeah, it's coming up on nine years now. Wow. What a journey. And with Salesforce coming to light in the conversation, I'd love to hear kind of like, what was that relationship like with you and Salesforce as the employer through the addiction, through treatment, through relapse? Yeah, at first I was very secretive about even even though I'd had a you know kind of a public breakdown in front of people. I think I mean for me it was more than just alcohol and the drugs. It was a full mental breakdown. I just had no coping mechanisms to deal with so much that had happened in my childhood and, and the loss of my dad. And so that night, my manager's manager, I said a lot of expletives too. I dared them to fire me. I threatened to commit suicide. 
and then disappeared for several hours in, in the middle of Manhattan, which caused a lot of concern for a lot of people. And so amazingly that night, my manager and manager's manager didn't see this person that was drunk. They could see someone that was struggling. They could see someone that, that really needed help. And they helped me get into treatment, which, which was amazing. Wow. It is so refreshing to hear that level of empathy coming from the situation you were in. I mean, egging them on to fire you and, and all these things, you know, even cursing at a manager or whatnot. It's for so many, boom, done. Like you've lost your job. That's it. And I just am so grateful for those individuals to have had the empathy to say, this is an individual that needs help. You know, this is someone crying out for help. So what a lesson to be taken in by, by other employers and my hope and faith in humanity is restored just a little bit thinking about the chance (laughs) that they gave you to give you that helping hand and not just push you to the curb. When you make this decision to get sober again after the first relapse post-treatment, what really helped you the most on the path to sobriety and to stay sober from there? Yeah, I I think for me, that's that's when I started working in a 12-step program. And again, this is in San Francisco. I found a men's group and I, I really resonated with the people there because in rehab, I saw, again, I had this idea of what an addict alcoholic was. And so in rehab, some of the people fit that image. Some people did not. But when I went into this particular room in San Francisco, I saw these people in the finance world, in the legal world, in the tech world. And I was mind blown because there were these people that were sober and holding down a career. And actually, my, my Eskimo, and if you're not familiar, for anyone listening to that term, like someone that got me into the program was also someone in, in the tech industry. And this was a, about a year or two before I got sober. It's when I was struggling. And he told me what was going on in his life. And I felt so awkward. I was like, why are you oversharing? Like, this is really, really awkward. But what happened was that two years later on, I knew who to reach out to. I knew who could help me understand what that individual did to get sober. And it's amazing. And I, I attended a meeting this morning around anonymity, how much you share, how much you don't share. And I have my personal views on that. But I, I truly believe that because this person shared their story with me, not only the darkness, but also the light, that's what helped me. And so when I moved away from, you know, again, treatment, I'm, I'm a big advocate for treatment. It certainly gave me time away from my drug of choice. But when I, when I moved away from, I guess, a pill of treatment, to a program that I get to work every single day and that I choose to work and I get to work. That's really what made the difference. So awesome. I mean, it is such a gift and it's that idea of like, it works if you work it. (laughs) You know, they say that for (laughs) a reason. It does take that commitment. And I think the community aspect of knowing there are other people out there who have gone through something similar is really the game changer. I feel similarly, I'm very open with my journey into sobriety and it gets more and more comfortable. You know, you start to really get into those shoes of like, I have, you know, sometimes I'm going on a podcast or an interview or something. It's like anything off limits. I'm like, I'm an open book, like ask whatever you want, you know, because I truly do feel that same way that there's some element of my story that will resonate with somebody listening and it can really help them. So I'm grateful for you sharing yours. And it's something you focused on with Uncrushed too. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what Uncrushed is all for and, and the mission behind it? Yeah, and the two stats that I normally reference that in the US, one in five pre-pandemic people are struggling with a mental illness and 60% of those are not getting the treatment that they may need. And so from that point, they do reach out for treatment. It's a very established marketplace. There's some great 
organizations, for-profit, non-profit that are out there. We really focus on that first 60% and how do you help resonate with someone's story and perhaps understand what they did on their journey, just as I've described, and perhaps reach out for help. And so I, I got to the point in my sobriety journey, I think towards the end of 2018, where I wanted to to be open about it. I wanted to waive my anonymity and and share my experience with other people. And so I reached out to a few other people, Janelle Cronk and Lindsay Boggs, who are the other two co-founders of Uncrushed. And we decided to create an organization. And I, Janelle actually got me into my first rehab in the middle of 2017. She was a, a placement coordinator for one of the large healthcare companies. And I said to her at the time, I said, why aren't people speaking about this? Am I the only one at Salesforce that has this problem? Like, it felt that way. It truly felt that I was the only person that had an issue with cocaine. And so it blew my mind when I went into rehab and saw that other people had the same issues as me, irrespective of the substance of choice. And so we wanted to create this platform for people to share their stories. And it doesn't have to just be about sobriety. We've had people that have talked about grief, different trauma, sexual assault, depression, eating disorders, anything across the whole spectrum of mental illness. And then that's created an opportunity, particularly in the sales and tech space, for other people to come forward and say, hey, you know what, we want to talk about this in our workplace. Remember, I think it was in 2019, we did an event in New York City with with a, a large tech company. And it was so powerful because I saw my role there as just holding space for people to share how they're really doing. And I just watched as these employees shared some of their personal stories and they felt comfortable to share their stories. And so I always say like, it doesn't have to be uncrushed. Like there's so many great organizations that, that do this. I'm just doing my little bit. As same as like, we have about 17 people on the team now at Uncrushed, all, all volunteer based. We're just doing our little bit to help people come forwards and, and hopefully find one safe person that they can share their story with. It goes back to that honesty. You know, why did I relapse that day? Because I wasn't honest with how I'm feeling. And so if I can find one safe person that I can be honest with, it could make the difference between me, you know, picking up or staying sober. I really like these examples of the different paths to go down as well. It's so nice to let other people know that there are multiple journeys through it, you know, to get to recovery and to stay in it. And one thing, like you mentioned, I forget who the quote was, but about it being really like connection. And it's about having connection with others and community at its core. Yeah, I, I highly recommend like, so Johan Harry wrote this book called Chasing the Scream. And he talks about Rat Park. And this was, I think, in the 70s or 80s. And a rat was placed in a cage with two water bottles, one with opioid, an opioid in it and one without. And the rat had nothing else, and the rat got hooked on the opioid water. There was then another rat cage that had multiple rats, lots of toys, lots of food. They had the same two waters, and they didn't get hooked on the opioid water because they had connection with each other. And his whole premise is saying, like, yes, there's a physical hook in the chemicals, but should we really be punishing people and this goes back to, I think, the 1920s with the war on drugs that we've had globally. Should we really be punishing people for being addicts and putting them in jail and putting them into chain gangs and shunning them from society? Or what if we treated them with love, with empathy, with compassion and said, hey, you're struggling and how can we connect with you? And that, that's where his TED talk, which is called Everything You Know About Addiction is Wrong, his famous quote, which is the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And so I could choose to get rid of alcohol and drugs, but for me, I need more than that. I'm not a happy person if I'm, if I'm just dry. 
And that's where I need to connect with others and, and, and community. And that's that's what we tried to do with Uncrushed and are doing with Uncrushed. And then that also kind of leads nicely into the premise of what we're doing with Soberforce, which is all about connection and community. Love it. Tell me more. Let's jump into Soberforce. I want to hear all about it. I met Chris Anthony through the amazing woman behind Take Care, and he's just a force to be reckoned with. Loved hearing his story. We recorded an interview together where I got to learn more about him, but I'd love to hear it You know, from you on how did Soberforce come to be? What is it? What are you guys up to? And how's it been received so far? It's interesting. Like Even when we connected on LinkedIn, my algorithm starts to change based on the people I connect with and I follow. And then all of a sudden, the conversations I see on LinkedIn are more around mental health, more around sobriety. And it was interesting that I connected with Chris Anthony. And at the beginning of this year, he sent me a, or maybe late last year, he sent me a, a message with a link to to a group, which was called Soberforce. And I was like, what is this? This is mind-blowing. And you know, a few of the founders, Chris and, and Maren Nelson and a few others, got together last year and they started to share their sobriety journeys on, on LinkedIn. And then they came together and said, hey, what, what if we created a, a community at Salesforce? Now, we have many employee resource groups at Salesforce, you know, for different communities of, of people. And it just, it kind of actually goes back to, I think, why I created Uncrushed. It's like, how do we, how do we break down some of these stigmas, particularly in the workplace? And how do we start to have some of these conversations? And so then the group started to be formed in the beginning of uh, 2021. We started to build a leadership team. It's been interesting, like this is not a 12-step group. And so Mm -hmm. we don't have to bring all the 12-step principles into it. And so it's it's been a balance of like, not just making this another 12-step thing within Salesforce, but how do we also recognize that there are people that are maybe sober curious. And what I mean by that is, Maybe they just want to watch the Slack channel that we have and not engage in any of the conversations. Maybe they don't want to be seen as a member of that channel because they're worried that their manager could see that they're in there. Maybe we've got a manager who's not sober, who wants to look at how they can create a more supportive and inclusive environment. Like instead of a happy hour involving alcohol, how can we do a painting class or, or do a cooking class? What are other ways we can bring people together without alcohol? And then our last group is is allies. Most people in the world probably have or know someone that is impacted by addiction. And so, yeah, that's that's really what Soberforce is, is, is connecting sober, sober curious and allies to our community. And there's so many things you have to look at, you know, the whole concept of anonymity. Is there risk of discrimination? How do we create this as a, as a safe space? And right now what we've been doing is just doing monthly meetups with the community where people can talk about things like how do you sell and be sober? How do you also navigate the pandemic and COVID and things reopening in certain parts of the country? Because many people have got sober during the pandemic and haven't experienced what it's like to be out in the real world. Yeah. Oh, what a wild topic that is, huh? I I do know a few people that got sober right at the start of the pandemic or in the midst of it. And those challenges of learning how to reintegrate. And one of the big things you mentioned in that that vein is like happy hours, having to get together with work happy hours, you'll start to have social events with friends and whatnot, and being prepared for like, okay, you know, there are going to be other people drinking. Is there something set aside for me? You know, the most we can do to, of course, try and get employers, managers to be thinking about what other gatherings you could orchestrate, but you will be in those positions where there's going to be alcohol involved and trying to be prepared for what you're going to do. So I just like to sign myself up for Dreamforce to have a mocktail bar. I will (laughs) gladly man this bar and (laughs) help make sure that there are some awesome non-alcoholic drinks. It's just so important. You know, the, the conference and convention 
invention world. A few years back, even when I was working at Intel, which by the way, I really resonated with your employee resource group that there's <laughs> so many. Like I remember there was just literally, I think a couple hundred employee resource groups at Intel at one point for every particular niche you could possibly imagine for communities. So really nice to see sobriety making its stake in that world. But yeah, as these conferences come back, are we going to be able to see these conferences be more integrated with options for people who don't drink or reduce the focus on like, okay, this is the party rager night with the big concert and it's all just about the booze and stuff. How do we sort of shift that? So yeah, it's it's about being inclusive. Like the amount of overdose deaths that have gone up over the last year is up 30%. There are so many people that are, are struggling with addiction. And you know, and I, I don't want this, I guess the fear is that I don't want to come across as like Salesforce has an addiction problem. Like your company has an addiction problem, um, you know, because, because we're human, you know, and irrespective of what industry you're in, people are struggling. So I really resonate as well around the events and conferences. That's kind of what I've been spending a lot of my time on over the last seven years in product marketing. I've worked on a lot of events. And honestly, I never would have thought about it. I would have just been like, okay, how do we get some fancy wine and cocktails and, you know, make it as fun as possible. And now, whenever we're working on events, you know, something that we're as sober force is is trying to do is like, hey, what are your non-alcoholic options? And that shouldn't, in my opinion, be just water or soda. You know, I'm a big fan. Like Monday's gin is is one of my favorite. Like they, uh, gin was my drink. I personally don't find it triggering to to drink this and there's zero alcohol in it and so there's a there's a like chris marshall with sands bars doing some great stuff in in the mocktail movement how can we make non-alcoholic drinks really exciting for people and and the one other thing i'd say is that sobriety doesn't mean it doesn't have to mean that you you had an addiction and and that's something i missed off on the overview of sober force like we've also noticed many people have come in you know, for religious reasons or for health reasons, because they just want to live a healthier lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another stigma that we need to break is if someone says they don't want to drink or they're sober, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? What went wrong? Like, it's none of your business. And it doesn't necessarily mean that something went wrong. We should normalize that people just want to live a healthy lifestyle. And how many more people could we invite into that conversation, right? If it wasn't about, okay, you can be here if you were an addict, if you were an alcoholic, if you were. And it's like, what if alcohol just wasn't adding value to your life? What if it just wasn't making your life better and you thought it'd be cool to not do it? Sweet. Come on over. You know, (laughs) I really, really love I'm like, this is going to be the soundbite of the century from you, Tim, saying it's not that Salesforce has a problem, you know, is the only company with a problem with alcohol. (laughs) It's like your company has a problem with alcohol. People really don't realize because it is so stigmatized still. It's everywhere. You know, it really is everywhere. There's so many people who either themselves or a loved one are very close to addiction. You know, somebody in your immediate circle, a parent, a grandparent, you know, you've just witnessed it or you're experiencing it yourself. So it's just, it is naive for employers to think we don't have this problem at our workplace. And the Recovery Friendly Workplace Initiative is doing great work bringing together statistics around this. Dope just went through the designation process here in Nevada to be a recovery-friendly workplace. Super excited to see this roll out in other states and really giving employers those, not only education around what a pervasive problem this really is and that recognition and awareness that it's happening in your company and here's approximately how much it's costing you each year, but then the steps of here's what you could do to make a more inclusive workplace to have the door 
door open for individuals to reach out for help when they need it. And for those that are in recovery to feel comfortable talking about it and your own awareness around events and things like we just discussed. So I'm here for it. I love it. Tim, you're doing mm-hmm. some great stuff. Like <laughs> when you talk to, you know, employees out there that are listening, that are thinking, God, I could never talk to my manager about this. What do you say to them? You know, what's the right place to even start? Yeah, ping me or ping someone that you feel safe with. That's for the Salesforce people listening and, you know, and, and for anyone listening, you know, there, there are so many people on LinkedIn, on Instagram, there's such a great movement of like sobriety influences. It's not hard to find someone now. Ooh, I love this term. That's exciting. <laughs> sobriety <laughs> I know, influencers. I know. It's a thing. Get me on my celebrity podium. <laughs> right. Oh, that's I, funny. Instagram's not for me, but I, you know, I, I, I follow other people and yeah, just find, find someone, find someone that you feel safe with. As I said, there are some protections in the US. So you don't, don't feel that straight away you have to go to your manager and tell them everything. You can go to HR and have some conversations. And in essence, the only two pieces of information that I needed to disclose was one that I, I'm having an issue and two that I'm receiving treatment for it. You're not protected as, as I'm not an expert as far as my understanding goes. You know, if you, if you don't seek the treatment route, then you don't receive protection. And so, they would then have to deem that I'm doing fine, even though I'm saying I'm not doing fine. Like if I'm not willing to get treatment, then then I'm not protected. And so that they're the two key pieces of information. But if you look back to what I said earlier on is honesty. And so I, I don't endorse or recommend going to your manager and telling them everything, but find someone that you do feel safe with. And kind of what we're doing with Uncrushed, like there are many people that won't be able to resonate with me and with my story. But thankfully, there are so many other stories on there. You know, and I'm sure the same on your podcast as well. You know, just listen to someone. If you resonate with them, reach out to them. Just connect with them and, and start to build some rapport. Yes, I love it. You know, we have Richard Harris, a friend of yours and yeah. on the board at Uncrushed, sharing his phone number on the podcast. So wait for that episode. So you just, <laughs> there's always someone to reach out to. If you listen to a few episodes of Soberpreneur, somebody's given you their phone number or their direct email. It certainly is that community of, of wanting to help. You've had such a cool journey, Tim. If you could go back and talk to yourself at the start of your journey, what would you say to Tim? It's okay to seek help. I don't have to be, you know, Brené Brown talks about this and, and, and shame and toxic masculinity. As a man, I don't have to be strong, hide my tears, not speak about my emotions. And it's it's okay not to be okay. It's almost arguably stronger to reach out and ask for help. You know, like what if that could be the narrative to flip it, that it's stronger to assess your emotions and want to have a more fulfilled life, be in your best self like you are today, which is awesome. Yeah, we did this exercise at Salesforce called Journey Line, where you with your coworkers, you map out and you can either keep it professional or you go personal as well with all the different points of your journey. And I I shared, you know, very authentically with everything that had been going on. And what blew my mind was that other people in the team did it as well. And that I wasn't the only person that had struggled with, I don't know, a breakup or relocating or depression or grief. You know, it goes back to what we said, like we're all human and we will go through these things. And I think particularly with the pandemic, we've all experienced, we've all been through a collective experience. And so again, I think it's another tip, like any managers that are listening to this, like ask your employees how they're doing. And one of the other exercises I love at Salesforce, we do on a team meeting, is we hold 30 minutes of the team meeting, it's an hour meeting, where you fill out a slide, which is three things you did last week. And you just talk about it and there's photos of like people with their kids or going hiking or watching a new TV series. Because it all goes back to, again, it's about connection. I now know that I'm not the only one going through this stuff. Like people that are homeschooling with, with children and stuff, like I can't even imagine that. 
people that have also been struggling with their weight and their health. Like we're all going through stuff. And so like the next time I see a post on LinkedIn, like oh, I'm not supposed to post this on LinkedIn because it's meant to be professional. Like I'm just going to call bullshit on that because I am a firm believer that we should bring our full authentic selves to everything that we do. And so my work life is my life. My personal life is my life. LinkedIn, I'm going to share everything that I want to share on LinkedIn because this is who I am authentically. Mm-hmm. That's the change we need to make. You know, more employers seeing it like that, more managers seeing it like that. This idea that, you know, the reminder that you've hired a human and they have emotions just right. like you do. So how often is it that actually, you know, the manager's even going through something and isn't open or sharing about it because they feel that they need to have it all together, that they've got to have it all on all the time, but everybody needs somebody to talk to. So thank you for bringing light to that. My last question for you, what is your best, you've dropped a lot, but what's your best piece of advice for others? <laughs> so I talk about, there's this man in England called Stephen Sutton. And at the age of, I believe, 16, he was diagnosed with, with cancer. And he spent the last few years of his life raising money for the Teenage Cancer Trust Fund. And he died at the age of 18. And I have a quote on my wall. who said, I don't see the point in measuring life in time anymore. I'd rather measure it in terms of making a difference. And in one of his talks, he says, if you're given, I'll translate it to dollars, if you're given $86,400 a day, but you've got to use it because otherwise it's going to disappear from, from the bank. How are you going to spend that money? And every single day we have 86,400 seconds. So how are you going to use that? How are you going to use it today and make the most of it? Boom. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. I mean, this has been an amazing talk through sobriety and mental health as this undercurrent really that feels it all right. And for working in business, working at Salesforce at the pace you do, running a business like in my shoes, often this discussion around mental health is what's missing. And for me, I have my own personal recipe for mental health that I try to keep in line with certain ingredients right on my recipe card. So I, I have to you know, stay grounded, try and talk to my therapist, call a friend, write in my journal, go for a run. And what number of these ingredients can I get in the week to keep myself sort of grounded? So Tim, what's on your mental health recipe card? Uh, I think for me, it's, it's boundaries, you know, number one, making sure that I don't do uncrushed work during Salesforce time, that I know when to switch off and, and spend some some time, you know, with my friendships, relationships, with TV, with my dog. So boundaries is, is always number one for me because it can become very easy to, to leak into other elements. Getting outdoors, which we talked about right at the beginning, I don't do it enough and I, I get to do that. You know, an addiction, I was confined to my bedroom. And now I, I get to get out and then connection, connection with other people. And so like one of the best things for me with, with Sober Force is every so often I'll get an employee that reach out to me and says, hey, I'm struggling or, hey, I'm doing well, but I just want to chat. And so I never know who I may help today. And most importantly, I never know who may help me. But if I can just get out of my head and be of service to someone else then that, that just helps my, my mental health uh, no end. So I, I try and do one call a day, which is non-work related, and it just gets me out of self. So awesome. All right, before we go today, it's time for our raw truth game. These are going to be some rapid fire questions to reveal raw truths about what makes you, <laughs> you. Are you ready? Or are you nervous? Uh, sure, both? I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm very nervous, yeah. <laughs> okay, first one. What is your biggest guilty pleasure? Cookie dough, I guess, has to be up there. Little plug. Love it. I, I love that. What was your favorite flavor? This one. 
uh, oh, Cookie yeah. Monster cookies and cream. He just yeah. takes it home. Cookie Monster, he's unassuming because you're like, I don't know about this blue one. And then it's everyone's favorite <laughs> flavor. Oh, that's right. awesome. All right, next one. How would your friends describe you? Caring. That's literally the word I was just thinking of. I was like, if I was Tim's oh. friend, I would say caring. That's so funny. That's awesome. Oh. You really come across like that, like genuinely so Thank selfless you. and like wanting to just see who else you can impact along the way. So. Thank you. I'm grateful to know you. I, I You're my friend. I'll yeah. call you a friend. And I would describe <laughs> you as caring. So that answer uh, was right. If there's a right answer for me. <laughs> what is the thing that makes you the happiest? God, it's a tough one. I think helping others. Outside of everything we've talked about, particularly around grief, it's been a long journey for me in the loss of my dad. And you know, a lot of people have lost, lost loved ones over the last year. And so just seeing whether it's sobriety, whether it's grief, just seeing people's lights come back on and seeing that there is hope, that just fills me no end. That and roller coasters. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grief is such a powerful feeling, you know? And it is my Nana, who is a big part of my sobriety story. She passed away at 21 years sober. And I was one year sober at the time. So like, thank goodness she got to see that I was on that path before leaving. But wow, that shit is hard. There's always this, you know, some moment just hits you. We're applying, putting down an offer on a new house. And the woman selling the house is my Nana's name. It's Betty. Elizabeth. So I was like, I just can't believe it. And we're moving to the town that that she lived in in Hideaway, Texas. So it's yeah, it's just a wild like when things come full circle, you got this little sign that they're still looking out for you and they're still there. And yeah, I I think looking for the signs is so important. Like I remember when I was I was driving to work the morning that my dad passed, and this song came on the radio, a Swedish house mafia, and the words go, My father said, Don't you worry, child. Don't sorry, don't you worry, don't you worry, child. See, heaven's got a plan for you. And yeah, and every time that comes on the radio or I hear that, um, it's like a sign for me that uh, that he's still watching over me. Yeah, yeah. Gave me the goosebumps. <laughs> that one will get you. It is interesting, yeah. but good to keep, like you said, keep the eye out for the signs because it's this like warming feeling that they're still, still watching out for you. Yeah. I made our rapid fire questions not so rapid, but we're going to jump into <laughs> the next one. <laughs> Those are worthwhile <laughs> to jump into, but... What's one thing you can't live without? Uh, my dog. My dog is everything to me. I have a mini golden doodle called Teddy. And uh, <laughs> outside of these walls, my whole walls in the house are covered with photos with him. He's, I got him in 2016. And so he's coming up on five. And so he's mm. seen me in the dark stages. And he's seen me in the recovery stages. And there's just something so, so perfect about animals, particularly dogs. So special. I expect a photo of him in my inbox. I want to see yes, his yes. glory. <laughs> What's one thing yeah. you could live without? LA traffic. It's getting busy again. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. What's the song you sing in the shower? Kind of like some Ed Sheeran. I can't think of the song name, but that's, yeah, I, I like some of his songs. He, he's got some great songs. It's good sing-along stuff too. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Blank gets me out of bed in the morning. Coffee. Finally, what goal do you most want to achieve this year? sobriety keep sober keep, keep helping other people yeah. i love it you're such a rock star this is maybe the most critical part of the podcast now that people have heard what kind of awesome stuff you're up to where can they get in touch with you i'd say connect with me on linkedin tim clark with the british spelling so clark has an e on the end of it that's the easiest way you can also go to um our website uncrushed.org and just see some of the amazing vulnerability from so many people 
Yeah, or to share your own story too. Such a great, great engine. Well, extra special thanks, Tim Clark, for coming on and getting real with me today. Today, we got to hear a glimpse into your journey through recovery, through recovering at work, and now through all the efforts you're making to help other people feel less alone in what they're going through and make an impact. So awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. To all the listeners out there, I hope you're feeling inspired to go out and make a change in the world. Until next time, I'm Kelsey, and that was Dope's Soberpreneur. But wait, there's more. Are you drooling after all this cookie dough talk? Jump over to dope.com. It's D-O-U-G-H-P.com to order some of our edible and bakeable cookie dough. You can use code KEEPITREAL for 10% off at checkout. Thanks and have a dope day.